Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. and good classics. I'm Derek. Um, in the last chapter of The Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier, we saw that uh, Winter was now having to take matters in her own hands. Um, and as far as her dad, Santiago, had been locked up, they won't let him out. No, they talking about a Buck Rogers date for him, apparently. Uh, but they had him locked up. And then her mom did the stupid, like literally acted a fool in front of the cops and got locked up. Like, you know that you're the only parent who's available for these kids right now. Like you got two little girls and then you, I mean, you got two toddlers probably. And then you got the eight year old Portia. Um, and you just like, okay, I'm gonna get locked up just to prove a point. I'm gonna do that. And that's, Another thing that hits me that I think Sister Soldier was really trying to state about um, the maturity of Winter's mom um, and the the likely the age that she was at. Because I know that when I was 30, I was kind of brolic. I was bout about it, rowdy, rowdy, you know what I'm saying? Like... If somebody came up to me, I, w I would probably act an ass too if it was the cops, just to uh, do it. But she did it, and the cops meant that they was going to take her in, and they took her in. So now she's locked up, and Magdalena's like, I don't want to fucking watch your kids for $20 a week anymore. That's some bullshit. Plus, you got me cleaning the house. I'm out. So she dipped. But before she dipped, she told Winter that... um. CPS basically had came and snatched up her sisters because they're under 18. So the government got them. There's no parents to watch them, which is, I, I don't know how her mom didn't think about that. Like, how don't you think that's going to happen? Like, why would you, I ain't risking it all for my kid. I, I'm not risking it all. If it means risking my kids, I just won't. I can't. It just doesn't sit right with me. So anyways, uh, Winter goes to see uh, the lawyer, Goldstein, um, and she tells him to use the key, uh, and I guess that pretty much means giving him power of attorney, because that's what he was muttering to himself, um, and so she still doesn't have the money to pay him. She doesn't have the money to pay for anything, really. She only has like 900 um, that she got that she had from before and then her gold brace or her diamond bracelet and diamond necklace 
Um, she had to use Sterling and had to use his car and had to use her body in order to procure both. So she's doing what she can, but she's not in the best place right now, obviously. Like her daddy's locked up. He told her when she went to see him in prison that now it's time to, for her to put together everything that he had taught her. Um, it was time for her to step up and be a leader. But the problem is, first of all, she's 16. She ain't ready to be no leader. I still don't know how old Santiago was. Like, I, I wish I could talk to Sister Soldier just so I could ask her what she was thinking that what what her mindset was as far as how old Santiago was um, when this book was written or, or, or when he was in prison and prior to prison um, and how old he was when he started slanging um, because she's 16 and 16 year olds, they're not ready. For this type of responsibility, this level, like you're giving her five or six different things to do. And she's just looking at you like this, is the same girl who, when he was talking to her before about how her mom was doing and everything, she's just thinking about the car and what she's going to wear. She's not ready for this life. This is going to crash on her pretty quickly. Um, so with that said, if y'all got any thoughts, uh, send us a voicemail, 916-633-1537. You can also email us at uh, wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. Um, leave a five-star review uh, wherever you listen to the podcast at. We greatly appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, so with no further ado, uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get into uh, the next chapter of The Coldest Winter Ever, which is Chapter 7. Oh, and the last thing the Goldstein told her before she dipped out was be ready because the government is going to come for you too because you're only 17 or because you're only, yeah, yeah, because you're 17 now. She just had her birthday. Uh, because you're 17, you still ain't 18. Be on the lookout. You know, the law is coming for you. So that was the last thing he said to her before the chapter ended. And now we're going to go ahead and get to chapter seven. Between the money that I took out of my mother's pocketbook, plus my own cash, I had a total of $1,480, a diamond necklace, a diamond bracelet, diamond earrings, and the clothes on my back. If there hadn't been a flashing pink sign that read diner when I walked out of Goldstein's office, I wouldn't have remembered to eat. I had been three days without thinking about food. I had a chance to eat, but I kept trying to get my head to think of all the answers to these situations. As soon as something clicked into place, something else popped out of order. Making a plan was complicated. When would my mom's get out? What fee would the lawyer charge? I couldn't come up with a good plan because I couldn't relax. I was cool on the outside, but inside I was in a state of panic. Normally I'd be plotting on a party. Now I was plotting on survival. Something Santiago always took care of for me. If nothing else was clear, the fact that I had to take care of myself was. The girls were little and cute. Somebody would give them shit for the time being. I, on the other hand, would have to give mine to myself. I wasn't sure if I could go back to Brooklyn yet either. I tried not to get paranoid and start thinking that was a hit on me or something crazy. Out of respect for Santiago and my moms, I decided to wait. Besides... Brooklyn represented far too many unanswered questions for now. Aunt Lori would be vexed because we never called her back about Uncle Steve. By now she would have found out Santiago got knocked too. 
everybody would be expecting our family to roll out the dough and bankroll everybody's situation like normal. But we were no longer in a situation to get down like that because money had to go towards our own problems, especially Santiago's case. I wasn't about to put myself in the position of having to borrow shit from them either. I could see them trying to flip attitude on me something lovely, and bowing down was not something I'd do. I knew I could always chill at Natalie's. Her mom wouldn't give a damn and probably wouldn't even know I was there. But the shit Natalie pulled with Bullet had me looking at her like she couldn't be trusted. Realistically, Natalie was a lifeline. She had information. What I could do, I decided, was play her. Get to know what I needed to know. Tell her as little as possible and even throw a curveball every now and again. I definitely wasn't going to give her the pleasure of feeling like now me and her were on the same level or something. I would focus on the luchi, the cash, the loot, and just how I was going to make it. I picked over my cheeseburger deluxe for an hour and a half before I came up with the plan. The impatient waitress tried to clear me out of the diner by exhaling real loud like I was taking up too much space for the amount of money I was spending. The key to getting back on top was midnight. He had the $50,000 Santiago told me about. Even though it was Santiago's money and I didn't know how much of it he would need towards legal fees, there would be no harm in me getting my hands on the dough. I wasn't in jail, so I might as well be useful. The smart thing to do would be to flip the cash. Invest it and double it at least. Then I could deliver the 50 grand to the lawyer and have a nice piece of change to set myself up as well. I would use Sterling for as long as possible. At least until I got answers to the big question about my mom, pop, and sisters. I couldn't see him minding. He seemed to enjoy getting used. I just pretended that all of a sudden I realized he was the one for me. He stared at me with those big, dumb eyes and be happy I had finally seen the light. Whatever chick he had there before I came last night, she'd just have to wait. Eventually, she could have the man. I just wanted the pockets, the apartment, and access to his little putt-putt to handle my business. Goldstein located Mom swiftly. He told me that she was being charged with resisting arrest, insulting, and assaulting a police officer. From his estimation, those charges were just a means for them to hold her for questioning about Santiago and his operation. He put in his notification of representation. The court was backed up and she wouldn't be arraigned until Monday morning. He said this is a good thing because he needed time to get Santiago's safety deposit box at the bank to see the status of things so we could settle the financial matters. He told me he was 98% sure he could get the prosecutor to lessen the charges on mom, dropped in completely, or at minimum get her out of her own recognizance because she had no previous charges. This way, she wouldn't have to post bail. she just have to show up for a court date. He sternly told me to call him around 3 o'clock on Monday. Things were out of my hands. I had two hours before I had to go pick Sterling up, so I went shopping. Nothing expensive. The Gap, Banana Republic, basic shit to get me through the weekend in the following week. $300 was the budget I gave myself. We, we gonna talk about that later. I'm quite sure about it. Please let me remember why waste words on Sterling? Know that he was quick to dump the female friend he had over the other night. He was glad I decided to stay with him for the two weeks my parents were out of town. He said he couldn't blame me for not wanting to stay in that big house alone and that he was happy I chose to spend my spare time with him. 
Early Monday morning, Mama was released. She had on the same clothes she went in with. Overall, she looked busted. Wig off, hair and bad of Earlene's, mouth permanently twisted, I guess. She went off about the feds seizing her leathers, furs, suede, jewels, furniture, and house. She was enraged by the loss of her record collection, which she had carefully acquired over the past 17 years. Whoever heard of the legal robbery they orchestrated, she cried. And whoever thinks they can steal my baby's got to be crazy because I'm going to get them first thing tomorrow when the Bureau of Child Welfare office opens. And Magdalena needs her ass kicked. She should have known better than to let some woman in the house who was not in the family. And let me see some motherfucker driving around in my red bench, sporting my wares. They'll get their ass carjacked right on the fucking spot. Where are you going to live? I asked Mama. Don't worry about me. What else can they do to me? She asked. They already shot me in the face. What they going to do next? She started laughing like the penguin on Batman. Are you going to stay with Aunt Lori? Yeah. She's going to be pissed about Stevie and money and everything, I warned. She waved her hand in the air as if to say none of that mattered. After all I did for her, Santiago gave that worthless husband of hers a job when nobody else would. She better recognize. She just better make room for me, treat me like the queen I am, and just help out until Santiago gets home. He'll straighten all this out. Speaking Santiago's name put her in another frame of mind. I saw her eyes switch and her voice did too. I saw Santiago, I said. He's alright. He asked about you, of course. He wants you to come down to see him on Thursday. Dress your best, he said. He wants to show you off. Mama cried. The twins were divided. We don't like to do it, but all of our facilities are overburdened. We had a space for Mercedes Santiago in Manhattan. The other one, Lexi, is in Brooklyn. Portia Santiago is in Queens. There'll be no problem getting them ready for release, but we have to release them to a stable environment. As it stands, Miss Santiago, you are still under criminal investigation. You have no residence. The address you're listing here, your sister's apartment, is a Section 8 residency. This means it must meet the federal regulations for living arrangements. Your sister already has three children in her apartment, and there's only three bedrooms. Therefore, it will be a violation of federal codes for us to release three more children into this apartment, or even one for that matter. Your sister has one daughter and two sons. Under federal regulations, a male and female child cannot share a room together after they reach 10 years of age. You stated your sister's sons are 12 and 15, and we, we just can't do it. Do you have a relative who can speak up for the children who have extra rooms in a non-rent subsidy, federally regulated building or house? All of our peeps were in the projects, so that, that question didn't even deserve an answer. Look, miss, I just want my children, my mama said. Now I'm good for raising hell, but I'm trying to be nice and work with you here. I've been through a lot. I'm innocent. I'm not perfect but I just need to have my babies with me. I'm not a drug addict, crackhead, or criminal. I just need to have my girls back today. You are presently unemployed, the lady said as if we didn't know it. The only option we can offer is the emergency assistance program. We can put you and your children up in a family shelter with a kitchenette so you can cook your own meals. We'll allocate you food stamps 
and medical coverage for their children. But there's a waiting list for those type of facilities. There's no way we could release the children to you with no income and no apartment. To be honest with you, Miss Santiago, there are also some more problems with the case. The girls are five years old, but they're not registered in kindergarten. Why? Did they attend private schooling? No. If you check the birth date on my girls, you'll see that they turned five after the deadline for kindergarten registration. Uh, oh, I see. Okay. Anyway, Miss Santiago, we are willing in the meantime to place you in a women's shelter while you try and pull things together. Sometimes it's better to check into a shelter than to move into another problematic environment. The girls tell me and our records show that there's another girl, one child, Winter Santiago. Is that you? She asks, eyebrows raised. No, I'm Rosie, a friend of the family, I lied. We'll need to know the whereabouts of the other child. Legally, she's still a minor and we are responsible for her. We could place her in a group home with lenient rules and regulations since she is an older child. We can help her complete her schooling. As long as she has no history of emotional problems, violent behavior, or educational dysfunctions, she wouldn't have to live in a restricted reformatory facility. When can you arrange to bring her in or provide us with an address so we can have her picked up? My mother glanced at the big armed security police station in the corner of the room. She looked at me and said, this is unbelievable. Thinking of the time she spent in jail, she said in a polite yet aggravated voice, Can I have your business card, miss? I'll give you a call and let you know what I want to do. Give us a call soon. We need to locate Winter. Should I put you on the family shelter waiting list in the meanwhile? My mother lowered her eyes. Yes, but I believe you'll be seeing me in court very soon. I need to get my girls back right away. In Goldstein's office, my mother went off. Goldstein had the confidence of a well-paid elderly gentleman. He let her rattle on and stay courteous. Let's separate the matters, he said calmly. First of all, we're operating with a nut of $50,000. This is what I retrieved from Santiago's safe deposit box. The real money is in his bank accounts, but his bank accounts were all frozen. His business records have all been seized. None of that money will be accessible until after the case is closed. Depending on the way things unfold, that may never be attainable. Given these circumstances, that's a small nut. Deduct $7,500 from Miss Santiago's case. $7,500 for what? My mother screamed. For getting all the charges against you dismissed, Miss Santiago. That wasn't easy. I had to really lean on the prosecutor in Long Island. You could be doing six months to a year and a half right now. I'd say your freedom is well worth your money. Wouldn't you agree? But I didn't resist arrest. I didn't assault no officer. How could I have assaulted him when I was already handcuffed? Be that as it may, I took care of everything. My fee is $7,500. The case for your children will require a retainer of 3000 That's a discount. Family court is a messy matter. It's time-consuming. If the matter drags out, then you'll receive my bill with the additional particulars. As far as Mr. Santiago is concerned, I'll need a retainer of $50,000 just to get involved. This is a big, big case. 
he's looking at years on top of years and possibly even life. A lot will depend on whether these cases even get separated or not. There are several co-defendants, and some of these cases could drag on and on. It's a little early to discuss. However, if we go into appeals, we're looking at another major set of expenses. You need to be prepared for that. It all depends on how far Santiago wants to take it. So what exactly is my father being charged with, I interrupted. The lawyer surrendered one of the folders in Santiago's file. There were ten sheets of green paper issued by the court. The answer to my question, I said, what is he being charged with? Everything. You name it, Santiago's being accused of it. Conspiracy, murder, weapons, money laundering, tax evasion. It was ridiculous to me. People don't understand Santiago's world. It's business. Nobody kept the drug dealer's business in check, but the dealer himself and the team he set up. There has to be punishment for those within the team who test too much to step out of line. There has to be punishment for outsiders who attack the business. Violations have to be responded to. Otherwise, the business don't flow correctly and people try and take advantage. They shouldn't be able to bargain to our business and force their rules on us. Not when Santiago knew his workers better than anyone from the outside. Everybody in this game understood what he was dealing with. Nobody forced him into this business. They understood the risks. Besides, the drug dealers helped America to be rich. If it wasn't for us, who would buy the fly cars, butter leathers, and the jewelry? We put so much money into circulation. More than a little nickel and dime paying taxpayers. We employed half the men in the ghetto. Nobody else gave them jobs. So why be a player hater? It was $60,500 that had to go to the lawyer up front. Goldstein already had 50000 As soon as I tracked midnight, I locate the loot and deliver the 10500 to Goldstein. I'd have 39500 to push around and double. Daddy said midnight would be released. I'd offer him a partnership since he already knew the business. He'd go for it as long as he got his cut. Mama and Goldstein were closing out their talk. Mama was asking if she could arrange to see the girls at the place they were being held. Goldstein promised to look into the situation. On the way out, I asked Mama, How was last night at Aunt Lori's? It was as cool as could be expected. She keeps asking if Santiago had any money put away for a rainy day. She wants me to know that it's raining and she needs the cash. What did you tell her? I didn't tell her shit. I just looked at her like this. Mama made a real ugly face and rolled her eyes into her head. I laughed. Mama was becoming a real comedian. After I made this face, she knew the deal. Don't ask me for shit, Mama said. <clears throat> I never mentioned to Mama that Santiago told me about midnight having some money set aside. I don't know why I didn't. I just didn't. After repeatedly beeping midnight, he finally answered my page. Who is this? A shockwave shot through my body. Winter. What do you want? Santiago, where do you want me to meet you for dinner? He asked strangely. I'm in Manhattan. I could meet you on 34th and 8th tonight at 8. We can go any place you want from there. When I hung up, I began piecing together a cute little story to tell Sterling so he wouldn't have a fit about me going out tonight without him. 
Then I picked up a new skirt suit to rock for dinner. The cold air stung my face. The wind was whipping the pleats on my wool miniskirt, offering a free peep show to anybody who was looking. I was feeling a little more relaxed in that new suit, though. I knew my money was real tight, but this suit was an investment. If I could walk midnight into my corner, we could regroup, create a new hustle, and land on our feet like cats. Whatever midnight decided to do would affect my father and even my own life. But I wasn't about to give him the impression that I was desperate. I wasn't stupid enough to go and try and get my hustling without the input of a real player. Midnight knew the ins and outs. Plus, he knew my father was loyal to him and that he could duplicate Santiago's style of running things. In fact, Santiago could somehow counsel him from the inside. Santiago stayed on top for so long that Midnight, in the few years of working for him, had to have learned the secrets to his business. I knew at first me and him would have to squash any beef we had in the past, even though I never understood what the problem was anyway. He acted like me wanting to give him was a crime. And as serious as things were now, I was sure he would see that me and him gotta work together because otherwise some lowlifes are gonna get happy to watch us sink down to their level. I promised myself not to piss him off. I was gonna stick to business. Don't talk business over the phone. Midnight had rolled up to the curb and dashed open the window. He didn't even get out the car. He didn't say hello, peace, or what's up. You called about the money, right? Well, I'll have it for you on Monday morning. Where do you want me to drop it? I thought we were going to dinner, I said nicely, bugging out on the way he was treating me. That was just something to say to keep you from running your mouth on the phone. There's a lot of brothers in jail today because they or some silly girlfriend don't know how to shut up over the phone. I knew what you wanted. I'll take care of it. Meet me Monday at 1.30 p.m. on the pier outside of Louis' restaurant at the South Street Seaport. He pressed a button and the window closed tight. As his wheels started to roll, I kicked his car with my foot. Wait a minute. Wait a fucking minute. Who the fuck you think you are? He hit the brakes, reversing the passenger window rolled down. Are you crazy? The last thing you want to do is make a scene. Well, I'm going to make a movie if you don't show me some respect. Respect. He laughed. What you know about that? I saw your naked ass on that videotape sipping champagne with Bullet. Who'd have ever known that Santiago's daughter was sipping bubbly with a nigga who's a worker for the other side? While your daddy was being raided by the feds, you was having drinks butt naked with the enemy. His words pierced me like knives. I was tongue-tied. I had been a part of a setup. My mind tried to reject any blame. I would never do anything that hurt Papa. My chest was heated up. My mouth cranked up and said whatever came to mind. Yeah, I was with Bullet. So what? You got a problem with that? I spent the night in jail behind your stupid shit. That's right. Slick Kid brought the video to Big Mo's to celebrate how much of a fool some small-timer like him made of Santiago's daughter. He showed the video on the bar TV at Moe's. Our spot. Where we used to run shit. I'm chilling in the back room doing what I'm supposed to be doing when Mo comes to the back to tell me what's going on. I come out to the bar area blowing my cover. Here I am, the only nigga on the team who ain't got pinched by the feds. 
They ain't got nothing on me. But I got to sit in the pen for two nights for beating the shit out of a little broke-ass nigga because you a stupid bitch. Back off my ride. I'll bring your money on Monday. He pulled off. Furious wasn't enough to describe the intensity of my feeling. Below the anger, my thoughts played dodgeball. I ran to the nearest telephone and gave Natalie a call. She picked up. Her usually bold voice was quieted by sleepiness. Yeah? What's up with your man Slick Kid? Oh, forget him. I'm not messing with him anymore. He's ridiculous. So you know that he's running around showing niggas my ass on the videotape. Don't take it personal. My ass on the tape too. Why sweat it? We in shape. Niggas can't lie and say they saw some cellulite or stretch marks or anything like that. Our shit was tight. I should thank the fool. You know how much dick I got sweating me now? His ass was straight up trying to diss me and I flipped it on him. Ha <laughs> ha, now niggas checking for me. Natalie's calm ran against my fury. So why didn't you tell me Bullet was down with them other niggas around the way? Oh, that. Bullet's cool. He getting a little name for himself. He pulling in the loot. It's just a money thing with him. He ain't got nothing personal against you or your family. He's cool peeps. He really like you. I mean, for real, for real. Yeah, with a wife and a newborn baby? What? Oh, I didn't tell you? Remember Patches from back around the way? You know how all the boys in his family got that hairy, big, black stain on the side of their face they be saying is a birthmark? Well, Sorry had that baby and it had a big-ass, hairy, mole-like Patches. Now Sorry is swearing up and down that it's still Bullet's baby, but it's a miracle or something. Bullet's grandmother talking about there's no way her fine-ass grandson gave birth to a little ugly something like that kid. Now Bullet's looking like a fool. He all caught out there, filled Saria's house up with Toys R Us stuff for the kid and stuff like that. He's standing in the waiting room with the cigars and champagne when Patches Jr. slid right out. I overheard Saria talking to her girl Fatima who be kicking with Monica saying that even though Patches is ugly, he could eat a mean pussy. That's why Saria kept seeing him on the side. When she got pregnant, she just told Bullet it was his kid because Patches broke as hell. She knew Bullet was a good guy who would support the baby. Now, I saw Bullet today. He said as soon as Saria heals, he gonna go upside her head. He said he knew she was just a hoe. He just wanted to be a man about it and represent for the baby that Saria swore up and down was his. Damn. It was all I could say. Natalie had a way of mixing up and confusing any conversation. Oh, I seen your mother back around our way. She like a whole nother person. I heard she was supposed to get some kind of surgery to fix her face. Yeah, she'll be alright. I hate to think of my mother walking around all crazy like. Sorry about your father. I knew I needed to hang up. Natalie was just being a nosy ass digging for most shit to talk about. Oh, Natalie, I, I gotta go. The cops over there about to throw a ticket on my bins. I slammed down the phone. A winter white outfit was going to make me feel all right. The color white for me was like a new beginning. I was standing outside of Bloomingdale's at 10 a.m. Monday morning when the doors opened up. My meeting with Midnight would happen in a couple hours. I hoped that time might have cooled Midnight down, making it more reasonable and receptive towards my business still. 
My mom's was definitely right. There had to be some love in Midnight's heart for me. He fought Slick Kid for me. What other reason would he have to beat Slick's ass? He went to jail for me, defending my name. My Nicole Miller dress wasn't all that expensive. It was the shoes in the bag that sent the bills soaring. I took a chance at a new hair shop. At least it was new to me. Those girls from the Dominican Republic hooked my hair up lovely. It was a silky long wrap, China style, blunt cut. At 1 p.m., the South Street Seaport was alive. Glass were clinking, spoons, knives, and forks in action as the lunch crowd flowed in and out. The restaurant was in the open air. You could feel and smell the breeze coming off the East River. I fit right in with the well-paid executive lunch crowd, sporting my diamond necklace, bracelet, and earrings. When Midnight walked in the room, everything around him seemed to slow down. He had the presence and body of an NBA player. He was perfectly in control. The hostess led him to our seat and handed menus to both of us. The busboy filled our glasses. I told you to meet me on the pier outside the restaurant. You have a hard time following directions. I was hungry, so I stepped in. His bad mood was ruining my outlook. We got a problem, he said. We? I said sarcastically. Look, I don't have time to play games with you. The money is gone. What do you mean the money's gone? That's bullshit. No, that's more than bullshit. That's fucked up. You took the money for yourself. I was going to share it with you. Santiago said you were honest. He's gone for two minutes and look how you do. Midnight had his hands folded in front of him. His jawbone started flickering and his big, thick lips curled under. If I was a different type of man, I'd break your ass up right here in front of everybody. Now here it is, Shoddy. Your father was like a father to me. He gave me a break. For five years, I never sifted one penny from him. I could have easily because I was close to him. But Santiago paid me well for my services. I got my own loot. He grabbed the bottom of my face tightly, adding, So don't ever use your pretty lips to destroy my reputation. It took me a long time to build it, and believe me, I earned it. Well, what happened then? What happened to my father's money? I asked desperately. May I take your order, please? The waitress asked. Give us a few more minutes, Midnight said. The waitress exhaled and left like we were going to jerk her for a tip or something. You don't need to know what happened. Less is better. Well, what will I tell Santiago? I'll go and talk to Santiago, he said. Well, what am I supposed to do? I asked. My voice was trembling. I was using all the strength inside me to not break down or maybe go crazy and start throwing steak knives around the room. Let me try and work something out. Give me until Friday. I'll try and do something for you. The waitress returned. I'm sorry, she said. This is a lunchtime rush. We need you to order now or... Midnight stood up, placed a $20 bill on the table. We'll be leaving. When I called Mama, she asked for the $700 I had taken from her pocketbook. When I told her I was broke, she started cussing and yelling about needing money to go and see Santiago. 
Not wanting to give her anything from the last $500 in my pocket, I tried to humor her, but she wasn't going for it. I know how locked in on an idea she could get, so I promised I would go through my belongings at Sterling's mother's house and try and pull together some cash. We can go and see Santiago on Thursday because those are his instructions anyway. Those were his instructions to you. I'm not a child. I'll go and see my husband anytime I want to, and I say I'm going today. You get that cash together now, and meet me at Goldstein's office at 3. I hopped on the train and jetted back to Sterling's house. I had to take off my dress and switch my bag before I met Mama, or else she'd be pissed that I spent her money on clothes. I took the tags and clothing receipts out of the white pocketbook and laid them to the side just in case I had to return everything to get some extra cash. The idea was painful to me because I couldn't see anybody wearing that dress as good as me. When I arrived at Goldstein's, my mother was wearing a dress I had seen Aunt Lori wear more than a few times. She had a long blonde wig that also belonged to Lori but didn't match my mom's face at all. She had put it on to cover the left side of her face. It did cover her scar, but the fashion trade-off was just not worth it. I gave her a kiss and she immediately turned and asked, Did you get the money? Yes, Mama. I have enough for both of us to go see Santiago, eat some dinner, and for you to get back to Brooklyn. Good, she said. Let's go. Don't you have to see Goldstein? I already saw that crazy man. He's talking about I can go and see Portia tomorrow, but it'll be a supervised visit. We can't leave the facility with her. These people are trying to treat me like I did something wrong, like I'm some kind of child molester or pervert or something. They processed us at the jail, checked the identification, made us take our shoes off, and laughed at the hole in Mama's right stocking right at the big toe. They patted us down, frisked us, and escorted us to a bus that took us to the prison waiting room. We signed in a big book, learned my father's prison number, were told to never forget it, and we sat. The room was filled with all kinds of women, all ages, and some children, mostly all dressed in what would be their best, with about 50 different perfumes, deodorants, and colognes hogging up the air. The carefully stationed guards stood in each corner doing nothing except making sure we did nothing. There was one big mouth guard coming in from the corridor that led to where the prisoners are. He would come into the back room yelling the last name of the prisoner, escort the visitor to the back, and signal when your time is up. When he finally came in and called out Santiago, my mother got up. So did this young Puerto Rican woman holding a baby boy. My mother went to the garden and asked, Are you calling for Ricky Santiago? The officer replied, Yes, ma'am. But both women kept approaching. I was seated in the chair waiting for Mama to see him. Then I'll be next. I checked out the mix-up. The Puerto Rican girl, I guess, was about 22 years old. She had long, jet-black hair down to her ass. She was sporting a Donna Karen pantsuit, something to mention because that was the expensive line. Most people could only afford the DKNY line. She had a big diamond ring on the unmarried finger. Her son had on Baby Jordans, a guest jumper with a little matching hat. He had a gold identification bracelet on his little wrist. The officer held up his hand and said, Sorry, ladies. There's only one visitor at a time. Now who's going to go first? I thought to myself, that's how my son is going to look. Dipped and paid. My mother said, I don't know which one of us you're talking to. I'm here to see my husband, Ricky Santiago. 
The Puerto Rican girl was proud but reserved. She said, It's okay, officer. I'll wait. My mother blew up, jumped in the girl's face and said, What do you mean you'll wait? I'm here to see Ricky Santiago. Who are you here to see? No, it's okay, the lady said, waving her hand so my mother would go away. What do you mean it's okay? My mother's face was angry and her twisted mouth was going nonstop. Who are you here to see? Are you trying to say you're here to see my husband? The lady stood there blank-faced and did not answer. I said, who are you here to see? My mother yelled. The guard jumped in between the two. Ma'am, it doesn't really matter. The lady says she'll wait, so you'll come along with me and leave her alone. The guard grabbed my mother's arm firmly and led her down the corridor for her visit with Santiago. My investigation started the minute I could no longer see my mother. I went to the sign-up book, telling the officer I wanted to make sure I put down the right number for my father. I checked the number me and my mother wrote and ran my finger down the row of numbers until I saw Santiago's number written again. I slid my finger across to the left side of the page to see the name of the visitor. It read, Dulce Tristamente. I approached Miss Dulce slowly, sat in the chair by her, and said, So, are you here to see Ricky Santiago? She looked into my face nervously and said, No. But then I saw the baby's bracelet. In big black letters, it was engraved, Ricky Santiago Jr. You lying bitch. You are here to see my father. You fucking whore. Don't you come down here looking down on my mother like you better than somebody? Look, I didn't say anything to you, so back the fuck off me. Sweet little Dulce's five foot two petite frame turned into a roaring fire. The kind most of the Puerto Rican girls I know have. If she wanted to fight, I was down for that. What I wasn't going to do was let her post up and act all cute and snotty like she had one up and over on me. Oh, we could take this outside right now, I said, threatening her. No, we can do this right here, she said, handing her son to an elderly woman sitting next to her. What you going to do? Come on. The guard from the right corner threw himself in between me and her. He smiled and said, Ladies, this is a jail. What are you going to do? Kill each other over some bum behind bars? Then Dulce and I both started screaming on him. His response was, I'm going to put both of you out if you don't shut up. Now you go sit on that side, he said, pointing, and you on the other side. Me and her exchanged stares. I wanted her to know I would catch her again the next time I would have my razor. When I looked at that baby seated on her lap with the jet black curly hair, those big brown eyes, those clothes, and especially that bracelet, I knew it was my father's son. I wonder how much money Dulce got away with. I bet nobody raided her house. She probably got all kind of jewels and cash stashed away. Apparently, she still had her clothes, too. There was no telling how much of our family wealth she was using up. I became enraged at the idea that he was taking better care of this little bastard than he was of me, his firstborn. Here I was scheming on survival while she was living a life of luxury. Why? Only because she gave Santiago the son he always wanted. When Mama came out from seeing Santiago, she glanced at the baby boy and threw her head up in the air. Dulce stood up with the baby and I guess the old lady was a grandmother or something. 
They went and stood by one of the guards. Mama asked if I was going in there to see my father because I was just sitting there motionless, steaming. No, not hardly. Not today, I told her. Mama straightened Aunt Lori's dress. She pulled out a small mirror and checked her wig. She patted it insecurely. She shot one last look at Dulce. Then she ran her eyeballs up and down Dulce's clothes, grabbed my hand and said, Come on, Winter. On the bus ride home, Mama explained that the whole thing was just a crazy mix-up. Santiago told her that the entire jail was filled with blacks and Latinos, and a lot of inmates had the same last name. It happens all the time, she told me. Don't worry about a thing. I just listened, feeling sorry for my mother. For the first time in my life, I was mad as hell at Santiago. The next morning, I waited in Penn Station for my mama. We were set to see Portia at the group home in Queens. So much had happened the day before that I hadn't had time to think much about my sister at all. I decided I could pick up some $5 stuffed animal for her. In Long Island, she had a collection of stuffed animals that Santiago bought for her from every and any place he ever went. At last count, she had 86 stuffed animals. Santiago even had special shelves designed for the animals to sit on. There were three levels that extended across four walls in all directions. Each stuffed animal was seated in an assigned seat that Portia gave him. She had a name for each of them and knew them all by heart. Whenever the twins would sneak into a room to play with them, Portia would know because they could never put them back in the right order. I picked up a Winnie the Pooh because Portia always liked him. I checked for the price. The Winnie was more than $10. I heard my mother's voice over my shoulder. Yes, that's perfect for your sister. Yeah, I think she likes it, I said without turning around. When I looked up, I dropped the bear. Mama was completely bald. Her entire head was shaven clean. She had on a leather miniskirt from Aunt Lori's tasteless wardrobe. Her top was a white learner's type of cheap collection blouse, imitation silk. On her feet were the unforgivable pay-less, buy-one-get-one-free $10 shoes. Ma, what? Oh, oh my God. What did you do? Don't make a big deal out of nothing, she said, playfully slapping my arm. I just decided that this is who I am. You like it? She stood in the middle of the store with her hands thrown up in the air like she was some kind of fashion model. Actually, Winter, these shortcuts are in style right now. Get up on it. Come on before we miss the train. Grab the other Winnie over there. That one's all dirty. She picked it up and placed it back on the closest shelf. On the train ride to Queens, Mama told me how I should move back to Brooklyn. Aunt B, her other sister, said I could stay with her, share a room with Bianca, my cousin. For the first time in my life, the idea of going to Brooklyn struck me as the last thing I wanted to do. Portia came out with an attitude. She had her arms folded across her chest like a grown woman. She rolled her eyes. What is wrong with your hair, Mama? Did they do that to you in jail? Did the, did the police shave your hair like that? Baby, this is a high fashion decision straight off the pages of Vogue. Y'all just lay with the styles. Don't worry, you'll catch up. So why am I locked up in here and Winter's out there with you, Mama? Mama popped her eyeballs out at the supervisor who was there to monitor our visit as to say, mind your own business. What y'all looking at? Intimidated by the bald-headed, twisted-mouthed mama, the supervisor turned her head away slightly. 
First of all, Mama whispered, leaning over to Portia, this is not winter. This is Rosie. Portia's eyes widened. What? She asked. Mama placed her four fingers over Portia's mouth and winked while she whispered, Shh, do you want them to take your sister away too? Just play along. Call her Rosie. The supervisor cleared her throat. <clears throat> Excuse me, Miss Santiago, please don't do that. My mother stood up, put her hand on her hip. All of you think you can boss me around. This is my baby and I'm talking to her right now. How they treating you, baby? The food sucks. There's no cable, no Sega Genesis. They won't give me the clothes I asked for out of the closet in my room at home. They won't give me my stuffed animals. Their beds are too small. My counselor's breath stinks, and I'm bored to death. When can I come home with you? My mama clutched Portia's shoulders. Don't worry, baby. Mama's coming to get you. What about Lexi and Mercedes? Will the twins come home with us too? Oh, yeah, Mama said, but I know she was feeding Portia a dream. Everybody will be there, and then we're going to have a big party. Mommy and Daddy and Winter, Lexi, Mercedes, and Portia, one big happy family. We'll even have Big Bird and Ernie and Bert. Portia flagged her hand at Mama. I don't even watch them anymore. By the end of our visit, the supervisor had to drag Portia out the room. Kicking, biting, screaming, and crying. She wanted to leave with us. Mama jumped the supervisor and fought too. I jumped in because, you know, that's the way it goes. We were thrown out when extra security arrived. The supervisor was all torn up. On the train, I tried to talk to Mama. I wanted to understand what was going on with her. She just seemed different to me. For the first time in my life, I was even a little embarrassed by her. I caught myself on the train trying to look like I was alone with no connection to the bald-headed weirdo on the next seat. I would stare straight ahead, then turn my legs slightly in the opposite direction so people wouldn't think we were sitting together. Mama kept talking to me anyway, making it clear that we were together. Seriously, Mama, why did you cut off your hair? She started to make jokes and I grabbed her arm. No, seriously, why did you cut off your hair? I, I was just mad. Mad at who? Well, it started with Aunt Lori. She knew I'd been wearing the blonde wig because it worked for me. She come talking about she wants to use a blonde wig because it goes with her tiger dress and she's going out to the bar tonight. Now she knows I don't have the money to go to Earlene's right now and I'm damn sure not about to ask Earlene no favors. I figure your aunt was trying to be cute by taking the wig away from me. Now she knows I'm not the type to go borrowing things in the first place. So I said, I'll fix her. I'll never ask for no more of her wigs. I'll just cut all my hair off. But now everybody can see your scar and where they operate on you and everything. That's right, she said, smiling. But why? I asked. Well, when I was in the mirror at first trying to style my own hair, I realized I wasn't going to really get no money for no plastic surgery. So I might as well be proud. You can't get no respect in Brooklyn being all down on yourself. I was sitting in the living room looking at Aunt Lori's old record albums. I saw that live hoe, Grace Jones. It clicked in my mind. It's a sign. I ran in the bathroom and just cut it all off. Now I'm a rocket just like Grace. She don't care what nobody's saying, neither do I. For the rest of the ride, we sat in silence. 
It was clear that I was going to have to take my Nicole Miller dress back to the store. I just couldn't spend my last $450 on a new outfit. I'll return this one, get the money back, and use it to purchase a new one. The upcoming meeting with Minton was important to me. Everything had to be as perfect as I could make it. If he was successful in locating some of Daddy's money, I still had to break him down so he'd at least talk real with me about what we were going to do. He might reject my business arrangement at first, but now that Santiago was locked up, he'd have to make money too, wouldn't he? He couldn't stay speechless and distant towards me forever. I was so jumpy about our meeting the next night that Sterling kept asking, What's up? What's, what's wrong? What's the matter? It's like, it's like you're not even here or something. I smiled sweetly, thinking to myself, Hey, idiot. I haven't been here since I got here. I can't believe how dumb Sterling is. He sickened me. He wore tight briefs, not boxers. He left small clunks of toothpaste in the sink after he'd brushed and little droplets of piss on the toilet seat. What really did it for me, though, was the skid marks in his drawers that he left visible because he's too lazy to put the lid to the laundry pail back on. Worst of all, he reminded me of the bad shape I was in myself, being homeless and all. And I hated him for it. Sterling only had about $100 to $150 a week spare cash on hand after paying the bills. He really ought to have realized he couldn't buy no quality ads for that kind of money. Friday it would all be over for him. I would tell him my parents are back from vacation. I'd leave with my things in one of his suitcases. He'd call me later in Long Island. The phone would be disconnected. He would spend the rest of his life trying to figure out where I had disappeared to. I'd have the money from midnight and a little business going on. Hell, maybe midnight would let me chill up in his spot until I could get my place situated. I traded my Nicole Miller outfit easily for a Calvin Klein dress. Things went smooth. There was no sense in the store clerks arguing with the regular customer, even if they could detect that I had already worn the dress. I had time to get my hair touched up as well as my nails. My hair was swept up into a French bun and my skin was perfect, smooth, and clear. My ears held my diamond studs and I carefully put on my necklace and bracelet. I tried to speculate on exactly how much money Midnight would come back with. I came up with an A budget and a B budget. The A budget was if he came with something around $50,000. I'll bring the money to the lawyer for Santiago, even though I was still mad about Dulce. I would take a couple of thousand for an apartment. If I was lucky, I'd find a place big enough so my moms could get my sisters back and we could all chill. The rest of the money would be for me and Midnight's investment. Now the B budget worked like this. If he came back with $20,000, I'd pay the lawyer ten, invest seven, and keep three for myself. When our investment paid off, then I will worry about everything and everybody else. At 59th and 8th, I sat outside of Central Park near the statue and waited for midnight to arrive. When I spotted his freshly washed black Acura with the gleaming rims coming around the circle, my heart jumped. He pulled up to the curb. Get in. How you doing, midnight? I asked, really sultry and cool. I was going to be more womanly and in control, I told myself. I'm cool. He said with little emotion. Well, what'd you come up with? Yeah, he said. We could check out the museum. It's only a few blocks over. What? I asked as I knitted my eyebrows together. 
He raised his hand to cut the conversation short. I was wondering what was going on. I sat quietly. Glancing to the left into the back seat, I caught the glimpse of a suitcase strap. My body filled with panic when I saw Midnight's bags packed. So many thoughts filled my head. The first one was treachery. Midnight had all the money. All of it, I thought. All the money Santiago had, he had. Now he was going to break me off a little piece, pretend the rest had been stolen and fly to Columbia or something and hide out. Midnight must have been down with the other team all along. He sold Daddy out, and that's why he was the only one who didn't get locked up. Now he was dipping out on not only Santiago, but the other guys too. He had a plan so sweet that he ended up with all their cash and both the other teams got jerked. When I turned sideways and looked at him, I thought he looked so sincere. A new thought came. He was going to show me the money. All of it. In a yellow business type envelope. No, a briefcase. A black briefcase. Then he was going to say that he and I should go away for a while to regroup, organize ourselves, make some more dough. Big money. We would send the money to the lawyer for Santiago and give some to Mama, and then we would leave. But then, why didn't he tell me last time I saw him to pack my bags? Get out and wait on those steps, Midnight said, interrupting my thoughts. Where are you going? I was worried. I'm going to pull the car around over there where I can park. What's up with the museum? I questioned him after he parked the car. We're not going in there, he said. So then why do we come here then? Come on, we'll sit down over there. He pointed to a table with benches. When I got there, I noticed nasty blotch the bird shit splattered about. Let's sit over there, I said, directing him to another table with an umbrella surrounding it. Midnight grabbed my arm tight. I said sit down here. A little bird shit ain't gonna hurt you. I gotta be able to see my car. I grabbed a little leftover newspaper off the round table to cover the shit on the bench. It took everything I had not to show how aggravated I was. With slight attitude, I asked, So what's up? I don't talk in my car, Midnight whispered. You never know who's listening in. I laughed. Either he had lost his mind in the last four days or he was just telling a joke. Everything is just fun and games for you, Winter, ain't it? I got serious then. I wasn't going to let him make me feel like a child. So what's all the luggage for? Are you going somewhere? Yeah, I'm leaving. Going where? I was horrified. That's my business. All you need to know is I'm out of here. No, that's not all I need to know, I said, standing up. I need to know what the fuck is up. Santiago said you had his money, and it should be obvious by now that I need to have it. I talked to Santiago, he said. He knows what happened. The money is gone. Even the money he put aside for situations like this is gone. Somebody he trusted double-crossed. The way I see it, he got raided by the street niggas, and he got raided by the authorities. The authorities uncovered shit nobody but family should have known. Now niggas is turning state's evidence on Santiago. The shit is bad. Real bad. Well, let me ask you something, Midnight. How come you get away smelling like you ain't had shit to do with nothing? 
How come everybody else behind bars and you cruising around in your damn Acura like your shit don't stink? Because I'm smart. I figured this day would come and I planned for it. Nothing good lasts too long. I never did no talking to anybody. I never kept no shit in my place. You can't be in this business yapping off at the mouth like a woman. Half the evidence they got on niggas is niggas telling on themselves over the phone and in their cars. The feds is listening in, clocking niggas, recording niggas, straight up snooping. Niggas running around buying too much shit with no reasonable cover to explain where it came from, flashing, making a scene, stupid shit. But a man can't tell another man what to do. You can't teach a man how to humble himself if he don't want to. Every man's got to do it his own way. I did it my way. It worked out for me. That's it. You trying to say you're a better man than my father? I asked, tears running down my face. Nah, nothing like that, he said. Your father's a smart man. I learned a lot from him. Sometimes a man as smart as your father can see everything and everybody else, but he can't see himself. Your father was sharp, but sometimes he let women influence him to make moves he knew he shouldn't make. Women? Are you referring to my mother? For the most part. He said in such a cool way I wanted to kill him. Did Midnight know about Dulce all along? Had he met with Santiago in Dulce's apartment the same way he met with Santiago in my house? What other secrets was he keeping? Women, he said as if he was an old man or emotional. That's why a man gotta be strong. Now emotional women have a way of pushing for what they want and not thinking about how things are gonna end up. You sound like you don't even like women. He laughed. I like women. But I like smart women. A smart man never chooses a dumb woman. All she can do is make demands, spend his money, and bring him down. Now he was stabbing me back. He thought I was going to bring him down. Or maybe he thought Mama brought Santiago down. Any way you look at it, it was a knife in my stomach, an insult, a diss. I had no time to dwell on the pain, so I pulled the knife out by saying, What about me? What am I supposed to do? What does Santiago say for me to do? Santiago said to go back to Brooklyn. It's okay now. Go back to Brooklyn and do what? Live where? Your Aunt B has a spot for you. Santiago worked that out already. The idea of returning to Brooklyn with nothing seemed crazy to me. So what? Brooklyn's not good enough for you anymore? He asked. Apparently, it's not good enough for you. That's why you're leaving, right? Nah, I live simple. Brooklyn was all right for me. I'm leaving because there's nothing to stay for. The feds would love to catch me slipping and pin some shit on me I ain't even do. They hate to be outsmarted. They ain't got nothing on me. My place was clean. No drugs, no jewels, no money, and they hate it. Rather than sit around waiting for them to cook something up, and them devils will cook something up, I'm out. I'm out like I never was even here. I did time already. The first time was the last time. Anybody trying to take me down, we all going out, right there on the spot in the hell of gunfire, because I'm never going back to jail. His words were clear. He said them with so much strength, I couldn't even front like he was lying or something. 
but I still wanted to know about the money. Somehow it just didn't seem right that there was no money left. Where was he getting money from? How was he going to make money? Where was he going to stay? How you going to make your dough? Where are you going? I'm going to be straight, Shorty. Don't worry about me. I got plans. I'm about to come into something. Listen, he said, pulling a white envelope out of his pocket. This is for you. I looked at it. I knew it had money in it. I exhaled. Don't be stupid, Winter. Learn how to use that head of yours. Otherwise, you're going to end up like everybody else. He said some other stuff, but my mind drifted. How much was in the envelope? I wondered what I would use it for first. What step I would make next. Midnight planted a kiss on my face and snatched away the object of my childhood crush with two little words. Take care. Can I come with you? The words dropped out of my mouth before I could stop them from embarrassing me. No. No? Why not? I'm not saying not to be a girl. I'm just asking if I could roll with you. You might think I'm dumb, but I'm not. I know a lot of shit. I understand. We can put together whatever little money we got and, and make something out of it. I'm 17 now, you know. I'm not as young as you think. None of that has anything to do with it, he said. Then what is it? What is it? I asked over and over again. Let me in on the big secret why you never wanted me. Why is the answer always no with you? Let me know why you will leave me in Brooklyn knowing what's happening with my family. Everybody's going to find out and you just bouncing out like it's cool. Already told you. I got to do what I got to do. What happened to your family ain't no secret. Everybody already knows. You hiding from Natalie and all them silly bitches and they already know. He grabbed the leftover newspapers from the table beside us. He balled them in his fist and pushed them into my face. Can't you read? Santiago's been in the newspaper every day. Page two, page three, page four. You see? That's what I'm talking about. Dumb women. You don't even know what's going on around you. If it ain't on the front page, you don't know it. But you know the name of every designer in Bloomingdale's. Hell no, you can't come with me. Your dumb ass ain't bringing me down. Not me. Midnight walked away. I stood on the steps crying mad. He drove right past me. I ripped open the envelope and couldn't believe I was slipping through 10s, 20s, and 50s. The grand total was $3,000. $3,000 measly dollars. What in the hell was I supposed to do with that? In the envelope was a business card turned backwards. Scrawled across the back of the card in neat handwriting, it read, I know you don't like her, but she can help you get your head together. I flipped it to the front and Sister Soldier's name was on it with an address and a phone number. I sucked my teeth and put the envelope in my pocketbook. You know, reading this now, it hit me. And I don't know if this, I don't, I don't know. I, I have these thoughts a lot. It's, it's usually just me. I'm cool with that. Winter reminds me a lot of Cher from Clueless. In the way that her dad would be down there litigating and running business and stuff. And Sherry wasn't thinking about none of the shit her dad was talking about. 
Cher was thinking about making sure her dad had smoothies, what her friends were doing, what her girlfriend Dion was doing with his boys or what with her boyfriend or or you know, just little kid shit. In the midst of big name stuff, she's in the back doing little kid shit and Winter is doing little kid shit. Even I mean, look, look, look. Some of y'all might not be that far off 17. Okay, cool. I'm going to kind of break your heart a little bit. Because 17's not that old. It's not old at all. In the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of your life, 70, if the Lord is willing, is less than a quarter of your life. Or 17 is less than a quarter of your life. 70, that's old. That's saying something like, yo. And even 70-year-olds would say 17-year-olds ain't got nothing but piss smell. Like, you still smell like your mama's milk. They'll say all those kind of things to you. And this is why. Winter started off with money. She was given what? Hold on, let me go back. Because it's the first thing she says this chapter. And it's really important that she says it. Because um, she has to say how much money she uh, jooked from her mama. So she starts off this chapter with $1,480. That's the $900 she had for herself. And then the $580 she stole out her mom's pocketbook. She spent all it on clothes. Knowing the situation at hand, she spent it all on clothes for three different arranged meetings with Midnight, where Midnight didn't even want to meet with her. And Midnight is looking at her every single time like, this is what I'm talking about. And you missing the signs, but this is what I'm talking about right here. This is why I don't fuck with you. You need to grow up. You're going to bring everybody down. And she's sitting there with outfits on her mind. Now, I don't agree with what Sister Soldier said about dumb women because, honestly, I'm not here to talk about the brain quality or smarts of anybody. But that's probably what a drug dealer was thinking. Like, yo, your dad was out there flossing for your mom. Your dad's out there living big Willie style and got caught. I was listening to a podcast today where they were talking about um, American Gangster, about Frank Lucas. And um, how the way he stayed under the radar for so long is that he didn't floss. He kept it real low key. He was running the whole thing, but they didn't know it until his wife had him put on a fur jacket and a big-ass fur hat and go to the fights and sit in the front row, shit that he wouldn't have usually done. And that's how he got caught up and got on their radar. Midnight is right. Everybody else in this game is not looking at it the right way. The, 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 the dealers in the game ain't looking at it the right way. The significant others in the game are just looking at it like a paycheck. They talking like the drug dealers are helping out the uh, the economy and shit. I don't know. I hope Midnight gets scot-free and never looks back. But he's going to look back because he's such a big part of this story. But I wouldn't want her nowhere near me either. All she thinks about is clothes and trying to have sex and, and, and stunting. And then she has a nerve. That's like me taking one class of economics and being like, all right, I can run a business now. No, you can't. Because when he gave you this little piddly ass envelope, you immediately blocked out everything he was saying at the end of the book or at the end of the chapter. You ain't ready. You are not there yet. Stop fronting on yourself. Grow up. 
damn, if there was never a time to grow up, now was it. And also, Santiago ain't shit. Like, this nigga had his baby mama just draped. Had his baby draped, his baby boy. Who she had... Winter had the nerve to be jealous the way the Porsche's jealous of Winter. Because the baby has on Jordans and a, and, and, and a nice uh, outfit and, and a gold bracelet that says his name on it. Oh, he's treating him better than he treats me. Winter says that she wears her diamond necklace, diamond bracelet, diamond earrings. Whole family's fucked up. Whole mindset. Like, I really do hope they don't get Lexi and Mercedes back because they need a chance to grow up in a normal house, a normal life. Like, I wish they'd be together, you know, not be separated because they're twins, but a normal house and a normal life where they can grow up and just be kids. Not the kids of a drug dealer. Not the kids of a drug kingpin. This book is crazy. 916-633-1537 is the voicemail number. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at Ratchet Book Club. Um, or you can hit us up on email at um, wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. I want to thank y'all for listening. Uh, please leave a review, five stars, uh, wherever you listen to the show at. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I hope y'all have a wonderful day. I'll holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name,